Well, good morning, everyone. Like Joe said, my name is Jody Ward, and I am. It's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking this morning at Acts 13. So we're carrying on from where Joe left us off last week. So just as a recap, okay? Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, not yet. That's Acts 15. Just hold on, it's coming. Okay? Paul and Barnabas were in Antioch in Syria. Okay? They were set apart by the Holy Spirit, commissioned by the church, sent. Okay, so they get in a boat, whoop, 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 go to Cyprus, okay? Make their way through the island, okay? And that's where they zap the guy with blindness who is uh, being problematic. And then they get the government guy on their side, and they hop in another boat. Whoop, whoop, whoop. They're heading up to, sorry, Graham, if I got too close to something. Heading up to Perga, which is in modern-day Turkey. Okay, from there, they're gonna head on up to Pisidian Antioch, so like settle in, there's just gonna be a lot of Antiochs, okay? Um, and that's where kind of the bulk of our story is going to happen, our passage today. All right, so we're going to read Acts 13, verses 13 through 43. So settle in, hang tight, okay? Uh, there's lots of good stuff in here. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Acts 13. Verse 13 through 43, it's going to be up on the screen for those of you who uh, don't have a Bible with you. So here we go. It says, from Paphos, so that was the island, the port city on the edge of Crete, or Cyprus. Come on, guys, sorry. Paul and his companions sailed up to Perga in Pamphylia, modern-day Turkey, okay, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country for about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophet that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. 
what God promised our ancestors. He has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. It is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. So, big passage this morning, but there's some, it follows some patterns that we're going to see as Paul begins his missionary journeys as he begins kind of to extend that kingdom of God, right? So from the beginning, we've seen how Luke is telling us, right, that we start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. So this is kind of retroactively called Paul's first missionary journey. He didn't know that's what he was going to call it later, but that's kind of where we're at, is he's just heading out, and he's extending and building the church in real time. All right, so he's left Antioch. So how I kind of keep it straight is I think of like Antioch and Syria as like London, UK, right? Got on a boat, came across some water, did some traveling, got to like London, Ontario. Okay, so we've got Antioch and Syria, Antioch in, like in Pisidia, okay? So that's sort of, you kind of get the idea. Okay, same name, kind of a different vibe, but that's okay. All right, so we're gonna look at what Paul's doing here. Okay, so they leave that city on the coast of Cyprus, and they head up. And we aren't given a lot of information here. It just says that that's where John Mark left them, to return to Jerusalem. Now, later in Acts 15, Paul's going to describe this as where John deserts them. And by the grace of God, God uses that sharp disagreement both for the good of the people involved and for the growth of his kingdom. So just know, we can disagree. And as long as we handle it in a godly way, God's going to use that both for our good and his glory. But it must have been heartbreaking right in the middle of the journey because John Mark was Barnabas's cousin, right? He'd been around Paul for a long time. They'd been instrumental in starting and growing the church. And to lose a good friend right as you're kind of heading off, right? Right after a real big victory. Must have been heartbreaking. But they carried on, okay? So from Perga, despite many of the obstacles, opposition, and a little heartbreak thrown in for good measure, okay, Paul and Barnabas carry on inland, and they head up to Pisidian Antioch, okay? So the first thing they do is they head to the synagogue, okay? Which is both, like, smart and smart, okay? Because in the Roman Empire, Synagogues would have been these outposts of, of, of Scripture, right? 
In the synagogues, the Jews were allowed to self-govern, practice Mosaic law, kind of rule themselves. And so this is a great little spot where people already know the scriptures, which is helpful if you are trying to preach a Messiah who has fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament, you'll find people who know the prophecies of the Old Testament, okay? It's a great first start. Seems like a, like a, just, it's both smart and smart, right? So he starts at the synagogues, and we're gonna see this as he goes forward. This is gonna be the pattern, right? The gospel, again, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles, right? And then also, this is where you're gonna find those church leaders godly men who know the scriptures and who have been waiting for a Messiah, waiting, they've been waiting and waiting. And so here comes Paul with this message of Jesus fulfilling all of these Old Testament prophets as the Messiah. All right, we're gonna see some of these godly men become church leaders. All right, so back to what Paul says. So as the tradition goes, they read the scriptures, kind of your regular thing, right? Everything's on the bulletin, it's all fine. And then they say, hey, any guests? If uh, you guys have any information for us to share, because we haven't seen your Facebook, or you, know, you haven't sent us any emails, you're from somewhere else. Do you have any news? Do you have anything you guys want to share? And so Paul is not passing this opportunity up, right? He's been invited to share, and here he goes, right? So he's gonna launch into all of this with God's story. He brings them right back, right back to the beginning. Right, reminding them again and again and again that it's God's story. He's not saying, here's what we did, here's the people of Israel. He's drawing them in with both a shared history. Okay, we are the same. We are the children of Abraham. We are the family of God. We are the chosen people, God's chosen people. Right, and he tells the people how God chose Israel for himself, how he delivered, how he led, how he gave, right? And how all of this is going to culminate in the fulfillment of the promise in Jesus. Jesus came to destroy the power and hold of Satan and sin on our lives. And so he's kind of walking them through this history that we share, right? And it's like, guys, this is our story. This is who we are. And Jesus fulfills it all. Jesus makes it all make sense. All these things that God promised you, all these things he told you the Messiah was gonna do, Jesus is, Jesus was, Jesus will be, right? So after showing them all the promises of God fulfilled in Jesus with some real fancy Old Testament-like references just kind of thrown in there for fun, he wraps up with his main point, which is therefore. So all this story, it is here for you to understand that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is set free from every sin. This is good news of great joy for everyone. Just like in Luke 2 when Jesus was born and the angel said, I'm bringing you, I am bringing you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Jesus is good news of great joy for all the people. Okay, we see this pattern, right, of Paul saying, here's how we're the same. Here's the Messiah, like here's all the prophecies set up. Here's Jesus, what you gonna do, right? How are you gonna respond? Okay, he wraps up with this really wild reference to the book of Habakkuk, right, which I'll kind of walk you through in a minute, right? And he's just like, guys, don't get stuck. Don't get stuck here. 
Okay, we can't just get stuck waiting for a Messiah. He's come, so now we gotta make some choices. We gotta do some stuff here. We got some work to do. So that's kind of what's going on in the scripture. So listen, guys, church planting, super chill, super easy. That seems like a great Sunday. Uh, whew, okay, lots of people responded. They were like, hey, come back next week. This is gonna be great. P.S., it is not going to be great. It's gonna get real spicy for Paul real soon with those synagogue leaders, okay? So just because they're friendly today, sometimes you ask people to make a choice and it's, they're not gonna love that. <laughs> Heads up, all right? So I'd like to go back and just focus on a kind of a few important parts in this large chunk of scripture. Um, so first, Paul's reminding us that it's God's story. It's not ours. Um, I would love to believe that <laughs> it is my story and I'm making choices, right? God has been writing his story from the beginning of time to the end of time. And he's inviting us to get caught up into it. He's saying, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing. In your day and in your time, here's what I'm doing. I want you to get caught up in this. Right? In this section where, where Paul's describing what God did, there are 13 active verbs, and all of them are God's. None of them are ours. God chose, God made, God led, God endured, God overthrew, God gave, God gave, God gave, God made, God testified, God brought as he promised, God raised, God fulfilled. It's all his story. And like, bless our hearts when we think we're a little more important than we are. <laughs> I have a lot of really good ideas, okay? Unfortunately, this is God's story, okay? His ideas are better than mine, I promise. <laughs> right? None of these events that are happening to the, to the children of Israel are outside of the sovereign will or knowledge of God. God is generous. God is powerful, God is long-suffering, God is glorious, and he's faithfully working things for our good and his glory. All right, now we're gonna scroll down to, or back to verse 17. If you can pull that up for me, Ella. Um, this is where you just gotta put on your humility helmets for a minute, because we're gonna learn a lesson, okay? Settle in. If you're not here for learning lessons today, then this is a good time to tune out. Um, but there's a word from the Lord for us this morning. Verse 17 says, the God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt, their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overcame, overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as an inheritance. Paul brings this story in for a reason, okay? He could have just skipped right over. There's lots of other banana stories he could have pulled in to show God's faithfulness, right? God's plan is to bring his people from bondage to freedom, from slavery to promises, and the whole thing could have taken days. These people had seen the 10 plagues. They had seen God's mighty, miraculous, powerful, terrifying hand at work, protecting them, leading them, and bringing them out of slavery. As they're leaving slavery, people are throwing gold at them for heaven's sake. Take our treasures, you're gonna need it. They had seen this with their eyes. 
I'm gonna read you a section from Exodus 14, where in my notes I have God is literally delivering them from Pharaoh's army. Okay, so it says in uh, Exodus 14, verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out. They said to Moses, they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? A little dramatic, but I'm here for it, okay? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will follow in after you. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of the Lord who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went near the other all night long. So just like a typical Thursday in Egypt, nothing big going on here. This is crazy! God has parted the sea. He's holding Israel back. There is a cloud that moves from here to here when God says the angel moves from here to here. They are seeing the Lord with their eyeballs. And I know that they're also seeing the Egyptians. And it's terrifying. And I know that sometimes the things we see with our eyes are terrifying or unfair, or tricky. I know. Sometimes what we see with our eyes fills us with fear. But I think we need to decide if we believe that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do. Because if we believe that God is who he says he is, that the God we have seen with our eyes, deliver us if he's just going to still keep on doing that. And that's why God puts us in community, because I remember the amazing things that God's done in your lives. I remember, and I could tell you, the amazing times I've watched God deliver you from really tricky things. And you, bless your hearts, remember how I have been delivered. (laughs) and grown and changed in the grace of God. You know that. And that's why God puts us in community, because it's really easy to forget. They are seeing God, and they're still afraid. We need to decide if we believe God. So how do you think these people who have seen the literal presence of God physically delivering them from Pharaoh and the army and all of that are going to respond. God asked them to just have like a real brief transition period. 
just real brief, um, and not great, as it, as it turns out. They're not going to really respond great to this. There's a reason we know them as the grumbling Israelites and a stiff-necked people, because they're not really good at looking around to get some perspective or trusting what God's doing. Grumbling, complaining, idols, faithlessness, impatience, arguing, dramatic episodes, imagining that this is how it all ends. Whether it's the wilderness or my house on a Tuesday, people don't like change. I don't like it. You, like, how many times this year have I said, I'm done learning new things? I'm tapped out, okay? Uh, comfy pants and being at home are my favorite things, okay? But God is calling us from bondage to life. We get flustered and frustrated about transition and uncertainty when from God's perspective, he is moving us from bondage to freedom. How often do we wish for the creature comforts of our slavery rather than the glorious promises and abundant life of where God wants to take us? So think about this. In the 40 years of the Israelites wandering the desert, God endured their conduct. He provided manna and quail for them to eat. Cloud by day, fire by night, water when they were thirsty. He endured their conduct, but he did not let them stay the same. The generation filled with fear, self-righteousness, divisiveness, complaining, and idolatry died in the desert. And I don't want to die in the desert of my selfishness. I don't want to die in a desert of my own preferences when God is calling me from bondage to freedom. I told you I was going to cry. We were, we're placing bets on when it was going to happen. It's fine. Not for real. That wouldn't be in the Bible. Okay. I don't want to die because I like comfy pants and staying home when God has called me to a neighborhood where Satan has had a stronghold for my whole life. I do not want to see my life as something that God is unaware of or uninterested in and unable to intervene because it is not. I want to have the faith before I have the luxury of hindsight to trust that God is moving me from where I need to get out of to where I need to go. I want to have the faith to look at my life and say, what is God up to? And how can I submit to that as soon as humanly possible so that I can get where I'm going in a matter of days rather than in a lifetime? If you've ever had to put a frustrated toddler into a car seat for their own good, you have a glorious picture of what sometimes the Lord will do to get us from where we need to be to where we need to go. For our own good, I don't want to be a complaining toddler my whole life. I don't have time for that, and neither does the world. They just don't. God can drag me kicking and screaming 
or I can submit to his will. If God is a good God who gives good gifts, then what I have in my hands is his grace. I don't get to decide what gifts are good. God does. And I will take the good gifts from my good God, and I will have the faith to trust that he knows what's best to get me where I need to go. And listen, I know sometimes it's hard. I know the things in your lives are not easy, but God has not called us to a life of ease. He's called us to a life of purpose. He's called us to a life filled with glorious, abundant promises. And I don't want to die in a desert. Look around. What's God doing in your life? How could he be using uncomfortable transitions to move you from apathy to engagement, to move you from isolation to connection, to move you from bondage to freedom? In my house, I say with my kids, listen, emotions need motions, okay? God gives you feelings not for you to just sit there and feel bad. He gives you that so that you will move. If God has given you like a feeling of loneliness, move, get connected, join a team, come to prayer, do something. But don't just stay there feeling sad. If God has given you anger, move to a person you can talk to rather than everybody else who can't fix the problem. If God has given you emotions, put them in motion. Don't just stay there. Start living your life on purpose. God was preparing the Israelites for what he was bringing them into. He could not take them into the promised land when they remained faithless, divisive, arguing toddlers. Because they had things to do in the promised land and it wasn't gonna be a walk in the park, but it was theirs and God was with them. Guys, us as a church family, we wanted to be in this building. We wanted to be in this neighborhood. We had a lot of exciting plans, and we could not do that. I wonder what God was doing in us. You guys, listen, might have wanted to go back to one service. It would have been a lot easier. I would, like, want to just sit in a big, cozy, cuddly, like, group and hug all your babies for the next 17 years. That is my desire, right? Where are we going to put the guests? If God's put us here, we don't have any, and we don't have any kids' church, and we don't have any programming, and we don't have any chairs, who's coming? Nobody. Just us. Just a nice little get-together for people who are already here. Bless our hearts. That's not what we're doing. That's not what we're doing. God put us in a neighborhood to kick down the enemy's door and steal the TV off his living room wall. And I can't do that, and you can't do that by yourself. Like, you might have loved coming to this service and not having to be on a team and just enjoying receiving from the Lord for these last 17 months. And that time is coming to an end, okay? It's not always going to be your favorite thing because God's not calling us to do my favorite thing. He's calling us to the work of his kingdom.
we're looking at expanding our kids club and our ignite teams there's not a program with more potential right now than those two things everything drops off at grade five and we've got an ignite program and no one to run it i wonder what god's doing in you i wonder how god's preparing you to serve one of the most underserved population age-wise of kids in our city we haven't been able to do drop-in but we might soon i wonder what god's been doing in you to get you ready to serve we haven't been able to have really regular in-person prayer times. I wonder what God's been doing in you. I wonder how he's been getting ready, getting you ready for where he wants to bring you. Where can you pray? Where can you encourage? Where can you serve? Because the promised land is not just for me, and it's not just for you. As Paul and Barnabas laid down their lives to bring the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth, despite challenges, opposition, and real physical and emotional cost. Here they are, just like us as a church family, we're being called into the thrilling, life-giving, joyful work of joining in with God's eternal plans and purposes and extending his kingdom right here in Fredericton. There is going to be challenges opposition, and real physical and emotional costs. So don't say I didn't warn you. Don't send me any angry emails. You're be forewarned, okay? This is how it's going to be. And if you had asked me four years ago when Kids Club was starting up, if I wanted to be a part of that, hard pass. Hard pass. There are so many things that are just, it's not my favorite thing. I don't like that there's food games. I don't like that it's noisy. Like, I could have given you a list of how Kids Club was not my personal preference. And you could not drag me off of a kids club team if you wanted to now. I have so much fun. I hit my step count by about 11.15 for the day. I have, like, it fills me with joy. I've been joined in with a team of people. And we ride the bus and we say hi to D bus driver Doug. And, like, it fills me with joy so that the rest of my day, instead of it draining, and me being like, well, now I've got to get through the rest of Saturday. Yeah, my body's a little bit tired, but I'm filled with life. And I have extra energy for what I have to get done that day. God's not going to ask me to do something and not give me the power to do the rest of the things I have to do. When God calls you to something and you're serving, he redeems the time. It's the same as with our giving. When we give to God, he takes what we give and makes it so much more than we could ask or imagine and blesses the rest. This, like, we know this, you guys. We know this. Paul walks them through the gospel. Oh, wait, I forgot to just say one thing. Please don't tell me that your one wild and precious life is going to be spent on your favorite hobbies, on your favorite shows, on things that are fine. Like, I love to read but I don't want to be known at the end of my life for the book stack that I read. I don't want to be known for whatever level of whatever your favorite game that you like to play is. I don't want to be known for my golf swing or any of that. <laughs> don't worry about that one. Right? Whatever your thing is, I don't want to be known for how far I ran. I don't want to be known for those things. I want to leave a legacy of life. You have one wild and precious life. Just the one. If you submit it to God and his purposes, you get an eternal legacy. 
Okay, all right, there we go. Paul tells them the good news of Jesus in verse 32. He says, we tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he's fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Verse 38, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male, female, young, old, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. You are not a slave to your sinful ways anymore because Jesus' sacrifice was powerful enough to break the power of sin in your life and in mine. Just like we teach at Kids Club. Four points. Anybody with me? One, God loves... A little louder, Claire, thank you. Me, yep. Two, I have sinned. Three, Jesus died for me. Point four, so I must decide to live my life for God. Jesus' sacrifice was enough. No more sacrifices, no more striving, no more trying to clean yourself up in order to get enough forgiveness to get you enough access to God to try to get you enough justification to get you through the day. Jesus fulfills the law of Moses by becoming the sacrifice so that all of that gets put away and we live in grace. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Isaiah 1, 18 says, come on, let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. We are free from every accusation of the enemy, even though those accusations are correct. Every horrible thing the enemy wants to remind me that I've ever done is probably true. But I don't have to pay for it anymore. Jesus paid for that, and I get to be free from being stuck there. And I get to be free to live. So again, Paul's finishing up in verse 41 with this uh, reference to the book of Habakkuk. Okay, so he reads this warning, which you could read as not a warning if you want, like, hey, look, I'm doing a new thing. Yeah, that's judgment. That's the Babylonians invading. Not a good time. Okay, so the whole book of Habakkuk, and I think the reason this is in here, is that Habakkuk as a prophet starts at the beginning, like totally sassing the Lord and saying, like, how long, Lord, are you going to wait to put up with these people? They're being terrible. I have good ideas about what we should do here. I'm not sure what you're doing, but if you could, like, hurry it up, that would be great. Just smite them and let's be done with this. Okay? So he goes from being real, like, testy and fussy and telling the Lord what would be a great idea to later in the book, God brings him through to a place of complete trust Okay, so he goes from telling the Lord what to do to trusting the Lord. This is what he says. This is what Habakkuk 3 says in verse 17. 
though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Paul saying to these guys who know the scriptures, who are waiting for the Messiah, don't get stuck questioning God, waiting. How long, Lord, till the Messiah comes? How long are we going to have to do? Don't get stuck there. Move through. Follow where God's bringing you. Accept Jesus as the promised Messiah so that you can see God's picture, get caught up in what he is doing, and rest in the grace of God. Rest in the grace of God that frees us from sin, empowers us by the Spirit to live a life filled with the purposes of God. Listen, Loki is not the only one burdened with glorious purpose, okay? We have things to do, and it has nothing to do with comic books, okay? We've got stuff to do in our lives that God has called us to, and he wants to not only enable us to do it, okay? He wants to free us so that we can empty our hands and run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So today, as we're about to celebrate communion together as a family, I just wanna invite you to consider a few things before we begin. So the first is that, like, salvation is for everyone. And if you don't know the life-giving salvation of God through Jesus, by grace, that is available to you today. You can choose to live your life for God. The second thing I want you to consider is if you have some conduct that the Lord has been enduring that you need to leave behind. Has God been calling you and moving you and you have been resisting? We don't want to die in the desert of our sinful desires and patterns. We want to be filled with faith and courage despite what we see. We want to trust that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. So maybe there's an area in your life where you need God to fill your heart with courage and fill your heart with faith for what he's calling you to. And you can do that this morning. And the third thing is just like, guys, what's God calling you into? Where can you choose to lay down some time or some comfort or some ease to bring the good news of the gospel to our community? There will be challenges. There will be opposition. There will be cost. It will be worth it. As a church family, we are being called into the thrilling, life-giving work of joining in with God's eternal purposes and extending his kingdom here in Fredericton and beyond with the good news of salvation in Jesus. So let's take a moment. Let's pray. Let's ask God to give us the courage to submit our lives to what he's doing to fill us with faith, to live our lives on purpose, and to fill us with the Holy Spirit so that we can do any of the things that God calls us to. Yeah. 
Father, we're so thankful that both in Paul's time and now, you are the same. You are good, you are merciful, you give, you are generous, Lord, you are with us and you're for us. Father, I pray that anyone who doesn't know the freeing, life-giving salvation through the grace of Jesus this morning would come to that understanding. God, I pray someone would choose to live their life for you today. Father, we recognize that you are calling us to lay some things down. We do not want to die in a desert. We want to be filled with life in your promises. So God, examine our hearts. Fill us with faith. Give us the courage we need. And God, I just pray that you would even now be planting seeds. God, be stirring people. What are you calling us into? Father, help us to see things from heaven's perspective. Give us a vision of your kingdom here on earth. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.